Well, good morning. Good to see you. We're going to continue in our series in James. Um, if you've just joined us, maybe a, a, just a bit of background on that. It's a letter in the Bible written by, we think, the brother of Jesus, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. But uh, not 100% sure, but that seems to be the case. Um, it's a very straight talking letter. I'm kind of preparing you for the passage that's coming up in just a moment. We're going to read a short paragraph. James kind of says it like it is. It's kind of quite hard hitting. But really what he's doing is he's making the point. He's encouraging those that he's writing to and uh, us through them to put their faith into practice. He's saying that what you believe powerfully, radically affects what you do. He spells out, in effect, what authentic Christianity looks like. What does it look like, really, to follow Jesus in a world that has turned away from God, in a world that is fallen in many ways, it's messed up in many ways. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does authentic Christianity look like? So we're going to read our next passage now, next short section, where James writes about riches, writes about money, writes about wealth. So uh, you might want to follow along uh, with me as I read it. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which, kept, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, these are weighty words. They, as you read them, I hope as you hear them, they, they're impacting you. And we're going to try and take on board some of that impact this morning by asking just a few questions. The first is, who are the rich? The second is, why should they weep and wail? And the third is, what are the practical implications for us in the way that we handle our money? What are the principles that are here that are going to be helpful for us? So the first, who are the rich? Well, in some ways, it's, uh, you could say it's, uh, it's relative, but as was always the case then and now, it seems like a small proportion of people own a vast majority of the wealth and resources. Then as now, it's a case of a big difference between the haves and the have-nots. The richest 1% today own almost half of the world's wealth. 90K plus net worth puts you in the top 10%. So I guess if you've got a flat or a pension or some resources like that, that puts you in the top 10% worldwide. 4K, 4,000 net worth puts you in the, in the top 50% worldwide. So if you've got know, a moped and a, some bits of furniture and so on, that puts you in the top 50%. Well, that's the world. We perhaps should bring it close to home. Think about the UK. 60K puts you in the top richest percent if, in terms of income, money you've got coming in a year. 60K puts you in the richest 10%. 26K 
puts you in the richest 50%. But whether or not you consider yourself rich, maybe you consider yourself poor, I want to encourage you there are going to be some principles here that are helpful for all of us. There's a warning that James brings where we can learn something from that will help us in terms of handling our finances and handling our money. The rich then, and I, I guess uh, many now, would have considered themselves not, not in, well, perhaps fortunate, but perhaps they might think they've deserved it. They've worked, worked hard. They've earned it. They would have considered themselves privileged. They would have considered themselves even blessed by God because of the amount of money they had, because of the riches that they had. They would have considered themselves in a good position, and understandably so. There would be much cause for them to celebrate as they look around and see how things could have been for them. Their life is very different to most. Because money, riches, wealth can give you pleasure. It can do that. It can give you the finer things of life. Money can give you an intoxicating feeling of power because you can achieve and do a lot with money. Money makes things move. It makes things happen. They would have enjoyed the admiration of others, particularly in those days. I think they're still the same today. They would have shown, displayed their wealth and people would have looked to them. They would have aspired to be like them. Oh, if only I could be in their situation. They would have enjoyed admiration as they displayed their wealth. They would have enjoyed a sense of good moral standing. It would be easy for them to think of themselves as a good person because they could give out of their excess to worthy causes. And everyone else would have looked at them and say how generous they are and how kind they are as they kind of give what perhaps was to them loose Change. In fact, I think we've talked about it before in, uh, in the first century uh, in this kind of culture. The rich would, um, would sponsor certain uh, civic uh, building projects, uh, perhaps a library or whatever it might be, and their name would be kind of uh, a plaque outside it, and everyone would know that they're the person that's benefited everybody from their finances. It would have been easy for them to have a sense of self-righteousness. I'm a good person. Look at all the good that I am doing. And for all these reasons, they would have celebrated being rich. Being rich felt good. So given the advantages of wealth, it's not surprising that today, kind of bring it up today, one in five children, when they're asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? What, what do you want to do? One in five, is that 20%, would put right at the top of their list, I want to be rich I want to be wealthy. That's what they tick. That's number one. Number two, I think, is I want to be famous. This is, what a child, this is the message that our children are getting. What's most important in life? What do you want to aspire to? Most of all, I want to be rich. I want to be wealthy. I want to be famous. I want people to know me. As we get older, 18 to 30-year-olds, one in five 18 to 30-year-olds says being wealthy is a top priority. It's a top priority to be wealthy. And it's not surprising. It's understandable, isn't it, in many ways, given the advantages of wealth. Who wouldn't want that? And yet, the Apostle Paul writes, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. One in five want to be rich. Apostle Paul says that plunges you into destruction. It's very dangerous. And of course, the passage we've just read here, James writes, he doesn't say, celebrate, wow, amazing, you're kind of the things that have fallen really well for you. 
this is great that you've got all this money, fantastic, life is going to be great. That's not what he writes. He writes, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Why on earth is he writing that? Why Paul's warning? Why James's warning? What is so dangerous about wealth that our ears should prick up? Because we've perhaps not heard this. We, we thought that would be good. That was kind of life would be great if only we could get money. There's a massive warning here. Why? Why is it so dangerous? Well, there are at least two reasons that I can see as I read this passage, and we're going to just look at each of them and draw, again, some principles for us, whether you consider yourself rich or poor in terms of how we handle the resources that God has given us. The first reason why they should weep and howl is because riches will rot. They will one day go. If you have put all your eggs in a basket that is guaranteed to break, that is a reason to weep and howl because you'll be left with nothing, complete empty-handedness. The rich, rich had trusted in something that would come to nothing. They trusted in their, in, their, in their wealth to bring them, as it seemed to be doing currently, pleasure and power and a sense of being a good person. And James says, weep and hell, because that will end one day, and you'll be left with nothing. It struck me, it's, it's perhaps a very vague analogy, but wealth is a bit like sugar. I don't know um, whether you've got a sweet tooth or not, but sugar kind of works quite well if you don't have lots of it. If there's not lots of it around, I guess there was a time when there wasn't much sugar around, and if you found a bee's nest somewhere, fantastic, you maybe pop your finger in and, and, uh, uh, and well, no. Um, and maybe maybe uh, smoke it, smoke the bees out, they move aside, put your finger in, nice, great. That's really good, it gives you energy, really, really good in small quantities. But when we began to manufacture piles and piles, have you seen those programs where they sometimes uh, say to people, let's see the amount of sugar that you've eaten over the last year. And uh, usually like kind of this mountain of sugar. It's like, whoa, how on earth am I consuming all of that? Because it's so freely available. We eat more and more of it. We, we crave it, and it's good in its place, but there's something about it where we end up having too much. And the more that we have, you've got a sweet tooth, the more your body begins to crave more of it. And then you begin to put aside other food, those green vegetables. They suddenly don't taste so nice. You're having more and more sweet things, more and more sugar. And of course, you're storing up a lot of health problems for yourself when you do that. It's, it feels good. It tastes good. But uh, if you go to the dentist, I mean, maybe dentists should say, weep and howl for the miseries. That, that would be a great slogan for a toothpaste, wouldn't it? Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. If you're having too much sugar, your teeth are going to rot. It's, and it's, wor it's worse than that. In fact, you won't even be able to enjoy food. It kind of dulls your enjoyment of food, the more of this kind of sweet stuff that you have. Of course, then there's the health risks of increased risk of diabetes and um, even mental health illnesses and so on. Sugar, it's not, we're not meant to have huge quantities of it. It doesn't work. And so it is with money. We're storing up trouble for ourselves if we kind of uh, handle it badly, if we have huge amounts and we're not incredibly careful with what we do with it. Of course, the same with sugar. Once you, once you realize it's a problem, it's quite hard to stop because your whole physiology has adapted to kind of consuming this. And so it is, as you are, are, are used to having huge amounts of money, it's quite hard to give it up. Do you remember, actually, Jesus said to a, a rich young ruler, he said, go and give all your money away. He couldn't do it. 
He had so much. It was easy for someone with less money to give their money away. The more you have, the harder it is to walk away from it. The thing about money is it can capture our hearts and give us a desire for more and more of it. And it's at the expense of that which is most important. We can miss what is most important. And putting it right at the top of the list, what a crazy thing. What do you want most in life? To be wealthy. That's missing so much of what is important about life. Money dulls our appetite for what really is important. The sense of pleasure and power and praise and purpose that money can bring can lead some to say, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. We begin to think that we're God. This is the deceptive nature of money. We can look at our bank balance or our business and say like King Nebuchadnezzar, Is this not the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? And this is perhaps an exaggeration. This is where it goes, though. This is what happens in the heart. This is the danger that huge amounts of money can bring to us. It it corrupts our heart. Jesus says to uh, to the rich people in lukewarm Laodicea, he says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. And do not need a thing. Do not need a thing. How deceptive is that? You've acquired wealth and you say you don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is what money can do to the human heart. And this is why the warning comes here. Weep and howl. Here is the danger. Money can make us less aware, even blind, to our desperate need of God. For every breath that we take, every breath, every bit of food that we consume, every good thing in our life is from him. And we've, we've turned away from him. And we've rejected him. And we've been separated from him, separated from our maker, our creator. We were made for eternal relationship with him. And there is a gaping hole in our soul. And money can medicate it to some extent, but it cannot heal it. It cannot fill it. And money can cause us to forget that. We can think, I'm powerful. I need for nothing. What a tragedy that that should happen. Only one person can fill that hole, and it's Jesus. In Jesus are such riches that if only we knew it, we would willingly give our last penny away, everything we had to get him. And yet he is ours for free by faith. The riches of heaven, the riches of God given to us for free by faith in him, by believing in his provision for us. His death on the cross is counting for payment for our sin. His resurrection to new life as ours, that we will be raised from the dead, now spiritually, but one day physically, that he will transform the whole earth, that we'll come into this wonderful inheritance, inherit everything with him, that there's everything in Jesus. He's given to us for free. And riches will lie to us and say, you don't need that. It will lie to people to such an extent that they would try and work out, how am I going to beat death? I'm sure there's a way because I can do pretty much anything with money. 
and they'll try and work out how to extend their life because there's something, a sense in us that we're not supposed to die. And there's this problem coming towards us. And money can blind us to that. Weep and howl. Weep and howl. It's a disaster. This basket will break. You need a better basket for hope. You need to put your hope in Jesus, who rose from the dead. And through faith in him, we can have sins forgiven. We can be adopted into God's family. We can have eternal relationship with him, with God as our heavenly father. This is offered to us for free. And money would seek to blind us from that and say, I don't need anything. I want for nothing. Look at the money that I have, that I have earned, that I have made. Weep and howl if that's the case for us. One day our money will be gone. You can't take it with you. I'm sure you've heard that. We talk about that, don't we? But we can invest it in something that will be of eternal value. We can invest it in something that will last forever. The Great Commission, Jesus commissioned his disciples. He said, I'm, I'm, I give myself to you for free. Now I want you to tell other people. I want other people to know who are blinded, who, who think they've got it all together, or perhaps who don't think they've got it all together but can't work out what to do. I want you to go and tell them about me. Tell them about what I've done, that I've died, that I rose again, that this hole that they have in them is, is to be filled with God. It's because they've turned away from him. And we can invest in that with our money for something that is of eternal value. I don't know about you, but uh, you probably know this, but uh, the, uh, the literal penny kind of dropped for me a couple of days ago when I, when I realized that Jesus' mission was financed with money. I feel odd saying it. It feels like that shouldn't be the case. It feels like there should be something kind of else, more spiritual kind of going on. Jesus' mission was financed with money. It cost to travel about. What do you think they ate? Maybe you, you like me, you might have had some idea that they were kind of hunting squirrels or I don't know what it would be in, in that part of the world and just living off the land and of course, there were some there were people providing for them in terms of meals from time to time. But here, this is what we read in Luke. Luke tells us how, it, how this whole thing works. And yes, there were miracles, weren't there? We've got miracles of, of, of bread, of feeding the 5,000. And I think there was, there was a, a, something to do with a coin of fish at some stage. These things, they happened, but they weren't happening every day. That's not how it worked. Miracles are, are miracles. Like, wow, that doesn't often happen. How are they... How are they living day to day? How was Jesus' ministry? How, how did, how, who, where, did, where did the money come from? Jesus went through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means, who provided for them out of their means. They were giving financially to the, the ministry that was going on so that people around that area could hear the good news of the kingdom of God. Advancing the kingdom and building the church costs money. It is a spiritual activity, but it is enabled by generous giving, just like these women were giving. I had another funny thought the other day, or an interesting thought. Um, I, I call it a profound thought, but it was not really. <laughs> um, I became a Christian about, I don't know, about 25 years ago. I became a Christian at the university where I was studying. And a friend of mine invited me 
to come to an event the CU put on, a Christian union. And it was there that I gave my life to Jesus. It was there that I responded to the gospel at last, some might say. At last. It was there that I heard the gospel in a way that I thought, oh, everything came together. And I trusted in Jesus. I prayed a simple prayer. And my life, my eternal destiny, you might say, completely changed in that moment. That CU mission was funded by churches in Norwich. But you, you, can't, you can't do it with no money. It, it costs. There's, there's money associated with, kind of, with meetings and mission. It, it needed money. We as a church look to support and give money to the, uh, the CU, the colleges, and so on, as, as they reach out to their friends. Like, people like me who didn't know Jesus, we give. And it suddenly struck me, there are probably people here, maybe you, you were with, with us maybe 25 years ago, who financed the gospel coming to me that led to my salvation. If we could see how this worked, we could see a link between, you, you probably, maybe you forgot it was going out of your bank balance. Maybe you didn't think, but there would, there would have been a moment where you got together and said, I'm going to give into the work of God, into the mission of God, into the extension of God's kingdom. And the money started going out of your account. And you don't know where it went or quite how it works, but there will be people here who played a part in just my salvation. I want to I, I say thank you for doing that. I want to say thank you. Totally changed my life. You gave to that. And that's just, what, that's just a part of one person. And it's, it's left me with a profound desire to finance a mission that, that there will be, one day we'll be standing before the throne and we will we'll have played a part. God can do it without us. He doesn't, doesn't need us, but he, he draws us, he calls us in to play a part in his love for others, to reach others. And so there's an encouragement here for us to use our finances for things that will be of eternal value. I'll, I'll be honest, um, that... I fill in my tax returns. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not. I did, of course, I fill in my tax returns. And there's a there's a point at which you have to put in what you give on your tax return. And there's a greedy part of me sometimes as I write that figure in that begins to think, what what could I have had with that money? And at particularly weak moments, I might kind of work out ten years, twenty years, whatever. Holidays, um, hobbies, toys. Uh, takeaways for a brief moment and then when I think about it how much better to invest in things that are of eternal value how much better to be investing I begin to think about I wonder I wonder when I'm standing there when we're standing together before the throne I, I, I what a joy to have played a part in God's wonderful salvation and blessing to others what a joy to have done that something of eternal value. And you know what as well, before you start feeling sorry for me, God has blessed us beyond, I mean, you, you can't outgive God. It's a, you know, we, the cliche in some ways, but it's true. He's not left us without. That there's even, even, he's even given us a holiday at one stage. Just, it's just the blessing of God is incredible. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage us. This passage encourages us to play a part in something and to give and to invest in something that will last forever. 
to finance the Great Commission. I wonder if you forgive me if you're a visitor or you're a guest, if I speak just for a moment to those um, who are members of church, uh, church family here, to King's Church. You, we've, we've spoken recently about a faith gap that we have. A faith gap is a, a gap between our resources as we currently see them, the current state of our financial resources, and that which we feel God is calling us into. There's a gap. That's not unusual. In fact, that, that's, well, that's called being a follower of Jesus. You, you, you step into, by faith, that which you can't see yet, trusting that God is going to provide. That's just the dynamic. And I want to just, uh, just honor the, the men and women who serve us in our, our trustees, who, who, who've got that, who are men and women of faith, who have steered us and helped us over the years walk in faith with our finances. It's just a privilege to be amongst them and uh, see how they help us in that respect. But the reason for talking about it now, because we don't, we, that's just, that's normal. That's normal, that's normal life, really, for, I would say, any church. But our gap has increased recently over the last year or two. And in some respects, that's understandable, given the kind of the state of the economy and so on. That's kind of, oh yeah, that's understandable. But we're believing that God is going to do something which is less understandable. We're, we're believing that God is going to do something whereby he's going to resource those things that he's called us to do. It's a bigger step of faith for us, but we fail to take it. Now James, though, here is at pains to point out that faith required practical action that what we believe actually translates into what we do. So a faith gap actually is going to make a difference to what we do. It's going to make a difference to our actions. It's going to make a difference to our finances, in practice, in pounds and pence. We believe that we're not going to need to scale back on, on sharing the good news of Jesus, on building the church, on advancing the kingdom, both here in Norwich and we, as a church, we have incredible privilege of playing a, playing a significant part in the gospel going out, not just here, but more widely in, in the, the region and also around the world. It's just inc incredible how God is uh, enabling us to play a part in that. And so we're thinking rather than, we, rather than scaling back, we're going to take a bigger step of faith. But that will result in action that we perhaps need to take. Now, for some... That action is simply continuing to give as you have been giving. This is, this is not a, a plea for, for those who have been kind of diligently and prayerfully stewarding their finances. It's, it's not a kind of a, 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 there's not a pressure to squeeze something more out. For some, you need to hear, well done. God says, well done. You've been investing in that which is eternal. And the step of faith is simply, it's another step of faith for you. It's simply to continue to do what you have been doing, sacrificially giving. It's something that many of us learned as a church over the years, particularly as we, uh, we felt God give us this building. And we tell the story often, don't we? we were, many of us were sitting here, well, standing here. There were no chairs, in fact. There was nothing here apart from this big picture of boxer on the walls and lots of boxing gloves. We were standing here, and uh, Goff, Goff asked us, Is God, do, do we go for it? We, we didn't have any money. Do we go for it? There was a faith gap. Do we go for it? And we felt, yes, there was a rise of faith. We had, didn't have the money. And I think there's a picture of God holding the keys at one stage. And I don't even think we had the money then. But we had an offering together. We gave together. And it was exactly what was needed to buy this place. But it was just the beginning of 
the resources that God would give us as we began to shape and build. And think about all the amazing things that have happened here, that we've been able to bless our city with. Even this last week, it was a privilege. I just want to thank those that have been serving this last week. We've had a kind of a massive event here. I guess we had 100-plus people. We've been feeding them, watering them, loving them, looking after them. Um, thank you for doing that. Thank you for being hospitable to those in our city, for being a blessing to those in our city. That's what we, what, what we felt God say to us when he gave us this place. But it required a step of faith, quite a big step of faith. And many of us learned over the years as we went through different phases of that building project to give another step of faith and another step of faith. Well, here we are in this current financial situation with a step of faith to take. And it's going to make, again, a difference to our finances. But I'm just making the point that, please, if you're giving generously, if you're prayerfully considering your finances kind of a month by month or year by year and adjusting as God kind of prompts you, then carry on. Just uh, bless you and may you be an example to others of us. But maybe you haven't considered reassessing your finances you were giving recently. You've been, you've been giving, it's been going out, but you've, all of other things have got your attention, perhaps quite rightly. This is a nudge to go back and think again. Is God asking you to grow in this grace of giving? Because you might think, and perhaps the re- one of the reasons for telling you uh, about this is you might think everything is fine. You might think that everything is covered. You might think that there's, there's, there's more than enough money for all the things that we're doing. We're just saying to you, no, there isn't. And it's, it's, it's just kind of the way that it is. Please don't think there's not a part for you, a role for you to, pr- to play. So it's an encouragement for some of us, I mean, me included, who haven't kind of gone back to our finances recently and said, Lord, what are you, what, what are you asking? We're really encouraging me to give. It's important to know that the Lord, he does not want people to give under compulsion. It completely undermines the point. He does not want us giving under compulsion. He does not want people pressurized to give. That's just the the opposite of what, what he wants. But he does ask us to decide in our hearts. What does it say? No one should give under compulsion, but, but that which they have decided in their heart in advance to give. It's a, this is a matter of the heart. But all we're saying here is, have you had that little conversation with yourself? Have you made that decision recently? As God gives us, it's so that we can give to others and we can give together here to the mission of God that he's called us on together. As we were praying this morning, I I saw a picture of a training, a a runner tying their shoelace. You know what runners do? And they just, they give them an extra tug. I'm sure I've seen them do this. And it just brings the shoe together. It just joins it onto the foot. And I felt through this process, as we pull together, there is a strengthening that's going to come to us, a strengthening together as God's people here in Norwich to press forward together into the things that he has for us. As we take this faith gap, we take this step together. So just an encouragement to, to be prayerfully considering your part in this. There are booklets at the back. I've just put a few more out there. If you want to kind of just think a little bit more, just take a booklet and let that, that, that help you in your thinking, your talking, your discussion, your prayer, in terms of playing your part in giving into all that God has called us to. But maybe you, you're not giving at all regular, regularly. Maybe you're a member of King's. Please remember, I'm talking to church family here. It's a bit of a kind of a, a little church family moment for us. Guests, visitors, we, we want to give to you. <laughs> we, we want you to be blessed amongst us. We're, we're listening, and uh, it's probably quite interesting, isn't it? Um, but church, family, may, when I first became a Christian, 
I gave quite haphazardly for uh, the first few months of, of being a Christian. I was happy to give, but I'm not a very uh, disciplined person, particularly. And uh, I, I praise God for, um, uh, for others around me that, that are a bit more. But, um, uh, but, but then but someone came up to me and said, would, would you like to, uh, to give regularly, to put in a standing order? I said, well, yeah, well, I'm very happy to do that. And I just filled in a bit of paper, and that was it. Not looked back since then. Just really, I needed a bit of a nudge. Just saying, this is a nudge. If, if you're part of the church family, and you think everything is sorted, and there's not much need for you to do it, and your finances are better spent elsewhere, and of course we have a range of responsibilities that we need to take care of, and well, I'm not saying that. But I'm just encouraging you, I'm nudging you. I'm being like um, this dear lady who came up to me and put that, let that kind of sheet of paper underneath me and saying, would you like to give? I'm just saying, would you like to give? Would you like to give? Just pick up um, one, of these, uh, one of these things. But you can, it's, it's easy now. You don't need a sheet of paper. You just go online, a few clicks on our website where it says giving. Um, you can say what you want to give. You can say if it's a regular thing. I guess uh, if you're paying tax, you can fill in a whatever it's called, a gift aid thing. It's, ju it's just a nudge. It's a nudge for us to decide in our heart. It's not pressure or coercion that would undermine the point. And by the way, we're, we're never going to know. No one's ever going to really know what you, what you give. It's between you and the Lord. I guess there's someone um, looking at the finances at some stage, but um, um, there is, there is. I promise you there is. <laughs> there is. Go and talk to Ed, actually, if you want to, kind of you want to work out if, how this works practically for you, how you can put something in place then please, please, please do that. This is going to strengthen us and bring us together and galvanize us to step forward into all that God has for us. I said there were two reasons, so I'll, I'll maybe be a bit briefer here. There are two reasons why riches are so dangerous. The, the first one, we, we, if we give into something which is eternal, we, we won't be weeping and howling when everything we have invested in comes to nothing. But the second reason why money is so dangerous is because there's a link between money and morality. There's a link between money and morality as it corrupts our heart. Not only deceives us, but it, it, it causes us to do things that are, are frankly wrong. It can do that if we're not really, really careful, if we're not handling our, our finances well in the godly way. The rich that James is writing about were exploiting the weak to increase their own wealth. Behold, the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. There's this link between riches and wrongdoing. It's not that everyone who's wealthy is wicked. That's not the case at all. There's some very godly people that are steward resources in a wonderful way for the extension of the kingdom of God. Praise God for that. They're a, they're a, a, a means of, of God's provision in many, many ways. And uh, we've seen that here in different times where people have given uh, quite substantial amounts into the work that we're doing. We're, there's, there's not, it's not of necessity. It just needs to, means that you need to handle your finances very carefully so it doesn't corrupt the heart because they start to do terrible things. It can capture and corrupt the heart, cause us to lie, cheat, and steal. It's amazing how rich people have a temptation to fiddle their taxes. Think, why on earth would you do that? You have so much money. You don't need to kind of try to hold some back. But it happens, doesn't it? Because the more you have, the, it, it changes your heart somehow if you're not very, very careful. Causing people to mistreat others as means to an end or ignoring their needs, turning a blind eye. 
James says, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you because God hears the cry of the afflicted. God hears and sees injustice, and he will respond. He's going to respond. Everything that's done that, that we think we've gotten away with, we think, okay, I mistreated them. I uh, kind of extor- extorted them. Um, I, I, mis- I mistreated them. He, he keeps track of those things. Weep and howl if, if, if you were doing that, thinking you're getting away with it. You're on very dangerous grounds. He will come against evil in all of his forms. Proverbs 22, this is like Proverbs, this is, this is wisdom. Do not rob the poor because he is poor. For the Lord will please their cause. He will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Don't exploit the poor. That's why the rich who exploit their workers should weep and howl. Because the misery that is coming upon them is the judgment of God where he will remove life from them. Not just physically, but spiritual life. This is serious stuff we're talking about in terms of how we handle our finances. Whoever oppresses a poor man, this is another wisdom from God in Proverbs, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. So how do we handle our finances well? We honor our maker with our finances by giving to those in need. This is how we keep our heart from corruption. We give to those that are in physical need, in spiritual need. We pay people a fair wage. They weren't even paying people a fair wage there. We're generous with our finances and with all that God has given to us. I love what Steve was saying earlier when um, uh, he, he's just talking about uh, uh, yeah, just, just stepping out with what we, what we have, giving to others and seeing what God will do through it. All of, our inc- we, all of our giving, by the way, we, we give away as a church 10% of that because we want to be careful about the way that we're stewarding money as well. We don't want to be keeping it all to us. I mean, we, we want to be using it and, and stewarding it well, but we feel it's good practice to give away to others outside of our kind of sphere of responsibility and say, we want to just bless what you're doing. We want to be a giveaway church. We're giveaway individually, but a giveaway church. And so we look to give away 10% of what we give together. It's a healthy principle, and it keeps away dragon sickness. You know what dragon sickness is, don't you? When you sit on a pile of money for long enough, and it corrupts your heart. We don't want that as a church. We don't want that as individuals. We're made in God's image to give away as he gives away. And we're safe when we're giving away as God gives away. We can be part of God's giving for others. This is the God who gives us his son, gives us his spirit, gives us the whole of creation as we inherit it with Christ. And so this is how we, a principle for us as we handle our finances, we make sure we're giving away. If you've not started giving regularly yet, you, you might have heard this figure of 10%. It, it crops up a lot in the Old Testament. Kind of, um, Abraham, I think, gave just spontaneously 10% um, of, all that, of all that he had come to him. Gave it to Melchizedek, uh, this uh, priest. It's a helpful principle. You've got to start somewhere. As often as people start at this 10%, just give away 10% of your income. Start there. It's kind of a, a stabilizer to have. In fact, when, when God talk, talks about giving the Old Testament, he said in, in different kind of contexts, give, give away 10%. That's what it looks like on the outside. And then give away on top of that, these free will offerings and other situations, other contexts. But start there. This is what it looks like on the outside. But in the New Testament, the New Covenant, it starts on the inside. This, that all that was, was, to, this, 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 was to illustrate 
what happens when you're changed on the inside. They did that sometimes, and they gave, but there was no change on the inside. Now in this new covenant, as we be given a new heart by God to love him and walk in his ways, we find that this generosity just bubbles up inside us. And we give because we want to give, not because we have to give. There's no law, there's no kind of amount that you have to give. We're to give generously and freely and with joy because it images what God is like. It displays what God is like. He doesn't give because he has to give. He gives because it's his nature to give. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given a new nature to give. So here's an encouragement to us to give. There's a warning here. This is a warning about the dangers of wealth. It's a wake-up call to those who have been deceived by riches. But it's an encouragement to us, and I trust it's an encouragement to you to keep on giving generously into all that God has called us to. It's an encouragement that what we give is God's provision for those in need. It's an encouragement that as we give, it keeps our heart free to receive and to desire and to enjoy that which is of most importance. Jesus given to us and the love of God poured into our hearts and the eternal destiny that we have in him. It's an encouragement to keep on investing in things that are of worth, to be like those women who provided for Jesus' ministry, Joanna and Susanna, and enjoy this privilege of financing the spread of the gospel, both here in Norwich and wonderfully, kind of even around the world, knowing that there is this link. This really has been kind of put in my mind. I trust by the Lord a link between the finances that we give and the effect that it has in terms of eternal salvation and the church being built. A link between the pounds and pence we give and the people from every tongue and tribe and nation standing clothed in white before the throne of God, worshipping him on that day that is to come. What a joy to have played a part in that. We can't always follow the threads now as we give, but know and give knowing that that is the case. Let's give generously to the glory of God as we ourselves have received generously from him. So if the band wants to come back, our time is, uh, is drawing to a close here. But it would be great just to finish in worship, really expressing our love to the Lord in terms of all that he has given to us. This is where it starts. It starts because he has given to us. We've received from him. And something has changed deep inside us. And his love and his provision and his financing of us and resourcing of us begins to flow out of us. When you stand with me, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to express our heart and our love to the Lord in worship. Father, I thank you that you have given to us so generously. You've, you've not held anything back. Your very son you gave to us to die on the cross, to pay for our sin. Your spirit, you poured out your spirit upon us. We thank you that everything that you caused to be brought into existence is part of our inheritance. We thank you you give us your very self, that which is most supremely good. You give yourself to us in such intimate relationship. You, you, you talk about a father as a father. You are father to us. You give yourself to us as a father at the cost of what Jesus did. There's a, a marriage to come. Jesus and the church. 
Oh. <laughs> you withhold nothing from us. We are, we are rich in you. Father, I thank you, though, that your giving has not ended. One day, one day this year of favor will end and we'll be stepping into eternity with you. But you want to give yourself to those who don't know you now, now. Or if there are some here that don't know you, Lord, would you open their hearts to your generosity, the generosity that's ours in Jesus. If, if we only knew it, we'd give up everything. And there is a cost in following you. But it starts with you giving us everything for free. We pay a price as sons and daughters, already inheriting everything, already having that which is most precious. Lord, I pray we would be an increasingly generous people. I thank you for leading us thus far. We're bricks and mortar around us. And many here testimony to the generosity that you've worked in us. But Lord, we pray that we would grow in this grace of giving. Lord, help us as we step over this faith gap, trusting you to provide. Lord, help us as we kind of very practically look at our own finances and say, Lord, how can I play my part in this with the body of Christ here? But Lord, I thank you we do so, waking up each morning for your mercy and your grace and your love comes to us afresh. Lord, I pray we may never be tired of sharing it, of talking about it, and of living it out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship him, shall we?